This episode covers the case of a young woman who went missing. Her social media followers helped spread the word, cops put together a case, and a prosecutor took a big risk. And then her family was met with a decision that no parents should ever have to choose from. I'm your host, Koi, and this is the story of Alexis Murphy. August 3rd, 2013 was a Saturday, and 17-year-old Alexis Murphy was a high school senior, and her senior class pictures were coming up. She posted a video on social media laughing and smiling about how she didn't want to make the long drive to get her hair done, but she was going to go anyways. The drive she was talking about was about 30 minutes from her home in Shipman, Virginia to Lynchburg, Virginia. That morning, her mom, Laura Murphy, was getting ready to go to work. She gave Alexis some money to get her hair done. Before Alexis left the house, she was laughing and seemed to be very happy to her mom. That was the last time that her mom ever saw her. About 3 p.m. that day, Alexis posted on Twitter saying, Berg bound, referring to heading to Lynchburg. That night, Laura left the house to work an overnight shift at the post office. In the middle of the night, Alexis' grandmother woke up and realized something very disturbing. Alexis wasn't home yet. Her curfew was at midnight, and missing her curfew was something that Alexis had never done before. Laura called Alexis's dad, Troy, but he hadn't heard from Alexis either, and he told Laura to call her cops. At the same time that law enforcement was getting involved in the search, thousands of Alexis's social media followers began sharing Alexis' story about her missing to pass along information, which led to a lot of people coming out to help search for her. For three days, Volunteers searched. Police used helicopters and canines to try and find any information on her. But no one was getting any breaks. Then on August 6th, the car that Alexis had been driving was found abandoned in a movie theater parking lot 40 minutes away in Charlottesville, Virginia. A nearby security camera showed the car being parked in the theater parking lot around 10.30 at night the day after Alexis was reported missing. A person exits the car and walks away. As much as law enforcement tried to enhance their grainy black and white video that was recorded at night, they couldn't identify or get any information on the person who got out of the car. Then investigators, they started brainstorming. They put together places that teenagers often hang out, and also places that Alexis frequented, with one of them being the Liberty Gas Station in Lovingston, Virginia, which was only about a 10-minute drive from her home. It was a place where a lot of teenagers tended to hang out after school. After going through video footage, detectives found Alexis going into the gas station on the day that she disappeared. Everything seemed normal with her. She was alone, didn't seem upset, didn't seem to be scared or running from anyone. By the video, she seemed to be just as happy as she was when she left the house minutes earlier. As normal as the video seemed, the biggest piece of evidence in this case yet would come from that video. As Alexis was walking out, a man held the door for her. 
seems normal enough, and maybe even nice. Alexis walks past the man. She doesn't look at him, doesn't stop to talk to him. By all accounts in the video, they're just strangers and he's holding the door. Everything pointed to her not knowing him. One thing that stood out about the man, though, was that he had a large tattoo on his neck. The other thing that was also very distinct was that he drove up there in a camouflage SUV. The FBI, at that point, was able to pinpoint a range where her cell phone was last turned on at, and it didn't give them an exact location, but the last ping was about a mile north of the gas station. So investigators started searching the area, and they came across a property with overgrown brush, and on that property was a very familiar vehicle, a camouflage SUV. While the detectives and FBI agents were there, they were met by a man with a very distinct neck tattoo of Daffy Duck. The man was identified as Randy Taylor, and after speaking with the agents and detectives, he invited them into his camper to talk. While they were talking inside, Randy told them that they could have a look around. The detective saw a diamond earring stud on the floor, as well as a broken off fingernail near it. And also there was a long black hair on Randy's pillow. Randy had the furthest thing from long black hair, and he was almost bald. Detectives collected all of that evidence, but it wasn't enough at the time to say that it did belong to Alexis, and Randy claimed that he had nothing to do with her disappearance and didn't know her. Detectives started going through the gas station video again. This time, they used a camera from a McDonald's that was attached to the gas station that pointed out in the parking lot. They were able to see Randy's SUV leave the gas station and travel north towards the area where he lived. Also, the area where Alexis' phone last pinged. And right behind him, as he was leaving, Alexis' car pulled out behind him, driving in the same direction. Forensic testing on the diamond earring, fingernail, and strand of hair all came back. And it all had DNA on it that matched Alexis. So now investigators go back to Randy. This time he has a different story. He admitted that he did see Alexis, but he claimed that Alexis and an African-American guy with dreadlocks came to the camper to buy drugs from him. Randy said that they all drank a few beers and Alexis left with this other guy. Randy even gave them a name for the guy, Damon Bradley. And this seems like a lot of back and forth going from the security video, finding the truck, Randy, the evidence, back to the security video, back to Randy, now to Bradley. As bad as it looks for Randy, the investigators, they still have to investigate every theory. When investigators interviewed Damien, he had no idea what they were talking about or who Randy was. In fact, he had a pretty good alibi. He was in a different state. Investigators were able to prove that he was in Alabama with family members the weekend that Alexis disappeared. Up to this point, they know something bad happened to Alexis. She hadn't been on her phone hadn't posted on social media, which was really out of character for her, and she hadn't reached out to any family or friends. Everyone is thinking that the worst happened, but investigators hadn't found a body, so while everyone was thinking it, they didn't charge Randy with murder. But they did charge him with kidnapping, figuring that with all the evidence that they had, she either did not go to the property voluntarily, or she definitely didn't leave on her own terms. 
Investigators went to Alexis' family and told them about the arrest. They showed Laura a picture of Randy, and she recognized him. He used to work at a car dealership, and he was the one that sold her a car. Investigators started looking further into Randy and learned more disturbing things about him. The Liberty gas station that Alexis would go to was a popular place for high school students to hang out at after school. Multiple people told investigators that Randy would park his SUV in the back of the parking lot, backed in, and he would just watch people for hours. And it was believed that he was mostly watching teenage girls. Investigators got a search warrant for Randy's RV, and this time they did a much more in-depth search, which revealed even more evidence. Underneath the couch was a shirt that was balled up. Inside the shirt were hair extensions, fake eyelashes. The shirt, which appeared to be the same shirt Randy was wearing in the gas station video when he held the door for Alexis, had bloodstains on it. The DNA on the eyelashes, hair extension, and bloodstains all came back matching Alexis. The investigators get a further look at just how sick Randy was. They found what was described as a scrapbook. Inside the scrapbook were pornography pictures from magazines that were cut out, but the faces were either cut out or scratched out, and another face was placed over them. The face that was placed on top of the other women was a picture of his co-worker's daughter's face. Police canines were brought to a property to help search for articles in the yard, which is where they located Alexis' shattered cell phone in their grass just about 15 feet from Randy's RV. Randy declared that he was innocent, even doing an interview with a local news station professing his innocence to everyone. The prosecutor in this case, Andrew Martin, began his research. He wanted to charge Randy with Alexis' murder, especially with him having her blood on a shirt in the RV. But they still didn't have a body. And up to that point, only two cases in the history of Virginia were prosecuted without having a body. He went back 30 years researching cases and evidence to charge someone with murder without a body before he made the decision to go ahead and charge Randy with Alexis' murder. Then Andrew gave Crime Watch Daily a quote that might be by far one of my favorite quotes. He said, quote, We should not reward a person by not charging them with murder just because they are good at hiding a body. End quote. I'm sure he came up with this saying before giving it in the interview with Crime Watch Daily, and I'm clearly no lawyer, but it just seems like a great closing argument to give a jury. And speaking of juries, the trial began on May 1st, 2014. It lasted only five days. One thing that the defense brought up was that they thought it was very odd that detectives searched the RV once, they found the earring, the hair strand, and the fingernail, but the second time they found the shirt with the blood. At face value, that does sound odd. But the first search was done with Randy's permission. He told them that they could have a look around while they were talking to him. If they would have started tearing everything apart, flipping over the couch, I'm sure he probably would have been like, okay, you can leave now. And they wouldn't have gotten anything. Instead, they found stuff that was in plain view. That helped this case go further. The second search was with a search warrant, which was handled much differently. And the shirt was under the couch, which wouldn't have been in plain view when they did the first search. On May 8th, 2014, 
Randy was convicted of Alexis' murder. At that time, he was still professing his innocence. Then a few months later, another name came up for prosecutors, Jesse Matthews. Jesse was a person of interest in two other cases around the same area and time where Hannah Graham and Morgan Harrington went missing. And when investigators saw the picture of Jesse Matthews, it really caught their attention. He was a larger African-American guy with dreadlocks, which was the description of the guy that Randy said was at his RV with Alexis. So was it possible that Randy just had the wrong name for the guy and that this guy was the one involved in Alexis' disappearance also? Even though Randy was already convicted, the prosecutor and investigators did more investigating. They did not want to have the wrong guy convicted. They did more DNA testing. They got Jesse Matthews' DNA and tried to match it to anything that they took in the RV. But after all the processing of the RV, nothing in there matched his DNA, which would have been in there had he been in there with Alexis. Then on July 23rd, 2014, Randy was sentenced to two life sentences in prison. But then Randy came back with another proposition, and this one left Alexis' family with a decision that no parents should ever have to face. How would you like to save a couple of hours each week? Grocery shopping takes time, and time is something that we are always trying to get more of. That's where Instacart comes in. With Instacart, you can spend that extra time catching up on other things like the gym, reading a book, or listening to a podcast while you're reading a book at the gym. Instacart also uses its technology to highlight deals to help save you money. The shoppers pick the freshest produce and they even keep your eggs safe. Instacart delivers to your door in as fast as one hour. If you use the link in the show notes, it helps support this show and it lets Instacart know that I sent you. And you will get a free delivery on your first order of over $35. And now, back to the show. After claiming he was innocent the whole time, then being convicted of murder and given two life sentences, Randy now had a proposition for the family and prosecutors. Randy told prosecutors that he would tell them where Alexis's body was if they reduced the sentence to only 20 years in prison. This is why you can't trust anyone. This man claimed he was innocent the entire time, had no idea anything that was going on, and now all of a sudden he knows where Alexis's body is? The prosecutor consulted with Alexis' family, and they all stood together. They wanted to bring Alexis home. They wanted to give her a proper, respectful burial. But they knew Randy was a predator. They felt confident that he would hurt somebody again. And they knew that he was a monster that needed to be behind bars. So, Randy's offer was declined. Randy's name also came up in another missing persons investigation in Virginia. On September 13, 2010, 19-year-old Samantha Clark left her mom's home, and she hasn't been seen since. Randy was listed as a person of interest in that case because investigators have been able to use phone records to show that he was the last person to call Samantha's phone before she disappeared. At this time, that's still an ongoing investigation. While Randy tried his hand at negotiating with the prosecutors and failed, 
They weren't really done with him yet. After all, this was a marathon, not a sprint. When he was sentenced, he was sentenced to maximum security prison. After seven years of being in maximum security prison, prosecutors were able to get him out for a few days in October of 2020. Where he was still in police custody, he just had a little bit more fresh air. While they had him, he led them to Alexis's remains in a wooded area in Lovingston, Virginia. Alexis's family was able to give her a proper burial after all. And this is going to bring us to a conclusion of this episode of Crime Nerds. Thank you for listening.